On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Coming up on New York, New York, the good vibes continue. Nick fans basking in the glory of an eight-game winning streak. Who could blame you? We'll have a ton of draft stuff with Peter King. We'll have my main man from Entourage and Power and Mr. Nick Fan himself, the great Jerry Ferraro, will join us. The Yankees finally get a win. The Mets, what a brutal, brutal couple of days in Chicago. We got all that and more. We got listener voicemails. We'll set the stage for the weekend. New York, New York. It's coming up next. Let's roll, baby. It is episode nine already of New York, New York with me, JJ John Jastrzemski, right here, of course, on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I get the sense after our emergency pod yesterday, there are a whole lot of good feelings across the board amongst the New York Knickerbocker fan base. They are riding that high. How can you not be? Eight straight wins. The Knicks are going to be playing in the postseason. The Knicks, in my estimation, I know a couple of people in Phoenix and a couple of people in Utah have a problem with me right about now. You think I care? Tom Thibodeau is hands down the NBA coach of the year. You got arguably, I'll take it a step further. You have the most improved player in the league in Julius Randle. And the Knicks are fun. I can't believe I'm saying this. I know I feel like I'm like beating a dead horse. And if you're new to New York, New York, you're probably like, yeah, JJ, ultra giddy, ultra fired up about the Knicks. But I think you have to understand the perspective of how bad it's been as a Knicks fan over the last 20 years. I mean, if we're talking about the worst organizations in sports in a major four over the last 18 to 20 years, Sacramento Kings are going to be on that list. Until last year, the Cleveland Browns were going to be on that list. The New York Knickerbockers were absolutely on that list. 
When you have one playoff series win in 20 years, basically, when in the NBA, everybody and their mother makes the postseason, you can understand why, in many ways, I've been beaten down by this franchise. But that is why I think you have to appreciate where I'm at right about now, where games in mid-April in the regular season are like bliss. It's like a thing of beauty. Different guys stepping up every night. R.J. Barrett has an off night. Emmanuel quickly picks him up. Derrick Rose might pick him up. Burks will hit some big shots. And then you can count on Randall to fill up the stat sheet. And, you know, I think back on that Porzingis trade. And when I was doing radio at the time, I killed the Knicks for that trade. They sold 60 cents on the dollar. How do you let go of a guy like Porzingis? Yada, yada, yada. I got to take an L on that one, folks. Because by dumping Christos Porzingis, it allowed the New York Knicks to go and get Julius Randle. And if Dallas came to you and said, hey, we'll trade you Porzingis for Randle straight up. What Knicks fan on planet Earth would go and make that trade? Not a soul. So it seems like the Knicks are moving in the right direction. And these next two weeks, three weeks, are not going to be about whether or not this team makes the playoffs. It's going to be the question of seeding. Are the Knicks in the 4-5? Did the Knicks end up getting a favorable matchup? Does Thibodeau lock down coach of the year? Does Randall lock down the most improved player? I mean, Julius Randall's going to be getting all NBA votes. All NBA votes. And I know this about the Knicks. They get into the postseason. You're going to get Everything that this team has to offer. Is it going to be good enough to win? That remains to be seen. Opponent, matchup, style, a lot of that stuff's going to come into play. But are the Knicks going to mail it in? Hell no. It's not in this team's DNA. And I talk about teams all the time, folks, in sports. Taking on the personality of their leader. The Knicks clearly have taken on the personality of Coach Tom Thibodeau. And I'm here for it. No knuckleheads call me anymore saying, oh, Tibbs, Tibbs works the guys too hard. He's going to run them into the ground. When you've sucked for 20 years, a little hard work and a little discipline can go a long way. And I think you're seeing it here with this group. And it seems like Thibodeau's making the most of the opportunity that's been put in front of him which is his dream job. He's wanted this job probably for the last 30 years of his life, maybe longer than that. He's making the most of it. So I'm feeling the good vibes with the Knicks. How can you not be? But when you look at the baseball situation, for me with the Yankees, I fully expected Thursday, with the way this game started against the Cleveland Indians, to be yet another rotten, miserable day at the office. Think about the first inning for a second. If you were watching the first inning of this game, it was sending the clowns. It reminded me of watching my winless high school baseball team back at Petridis High School, for those of you keeping score at home. The Yankees are booting balls in left field. You have Domingo Herman booting a ball on the mound. You have the Indians scoring three runs when they had no business scoring three runs. In addition to that, you had Gleyber Torres swinging at ball five and ball six. And if you would have told me that the Yankees would fall behind three to nothing. They would shut out the Cleveland Indians for the remainder of the game. 
and would proceed to score six unanswered runs in the process, I would have given you very, very, very good odds on that. Very good odds. Because you haven't seen it from this team basically all year. I got to give credit where credit is due. The Yankees finally showed you a little chutzpah. The Yankees finally found a way to go win a tough baseball game. It helps that Gleyber Torres, basically for the first time all year, showed a pulse. That's the Gleyber Torres I expect to see for the New York Yankees. And last night at the game, we didn't do a pot on the Yanks. I was irate. Gleyber Torres hit a weak ground ball, stayed in the batter's box, didn't bust it out of the box, and it looked even worse because Marcelo Osuna for the Atlanta Braves is busting out of the box and basically prevented two double plays from happening and led Atlanta to scoring an insurance run. So when you see that and you see Gleyber Torres, you're like, all right, is the manager going to do something about it? Some folks were suggesting the idea of sending him down to the minor leagues, which to me was absolutely asinine. Now, if I were on a team, would I bench this ass for a game? I would have. And Aaron Boone used some terminology that was foreign to me. Foreign. I saw this earlier today, and I had a little bit of fun on social media. I want to make sure I have the quote right. Aaron Boone on Gleyber Torres. We spoke. That was between us and my office. Gleyber's care factor is where it needs to be. Care factor. That's a doozy. That's one that I don't think would have played well with Billy Martin or with Jimmy Leland. Just saying. Care factor. That's, that's a new one. I'm going to put that in the memory bank. But I will give Aaron Boone and Gleyber Torres credit for this. Gleyber Torres was in the lineup on Thursday. He came up in a couple of big situations and had a couple of big hits in the process, including a game-tying hit. Gleyber not trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, shortening his swing, and putting the ball in play is going to lead to much better results. Gleyber goes three for five. Maybe we will look back on this Thursday game in Cleveland as the point in which Gleyber's season got going. I hope so, because the Yankees ain't doing squat without him. Another element I liked from the Yankees tonight, Rugnet Odor, who has done absolutely nothing since he's come to the Yankees. At least he's given him two go-ahead hits. He's got like five hits on the air. Two of them are go-ahead hits. One against the Rays a couple of Sundays ago. and. One here in this game. Big two-out hit. You're watching it. You're like, wow. Do do I got to, you know, maybe get my TV adjusted? Do I maybe got to go and get glasses and check my eyes? Am I actually seeing what I'm seeing? That's right. The Yankees had a big two-out RBI hit that gave them the lead. Another narrative from this game. Higgy hitting a home run. Gary Sanchez hasn't been awful. Higgy's been better. And for a lineup that's struggling the way the Yankee lineup is struggling, I have to wonder, is it possible Higgy can warrant more playing time throughout the rotation? We know he's going to catch Garrett Cole. Are you going to see Higgy maybe three days a week? I don't think it's crazy. Is it the craziest idea without Luke Voigt for the time being, maybe sticking Gary Sanchez at first base for a game or two? I don't need to see the Boogie Knights porn stash from Mike Ford at first base when he can't hit a lick. 
I'm okay with the Yankees trying to get creative because they haven't been scoring runs. I can live with the fact that they're trying to mess around with an element here or an element there. All in all, though, it was a good night for them. And the bullpen. Listen, if there's one positive for the Yankees season outside of Garrett Cole this year, the bullpen has been money. From Chapman with that splitter, it's been nasty. Wawazic has been really good. Green has been really good. O'Day and Wilson have done the job. And remember, the Yankee bullpen doesn't have Zach Britton. So when you get Zach Britton in the equation, it's going to make it that much better. Yankees got to start scoring some runs. Maybe Cleveland is the place that can get them going. Needed a win, got to win. And down 3 nothing, didn't see it coming. And give Domingo Herman credit, too. Herman's first start back, the first two stunk. He deserved better in that first inning. Shouldn't have given up three runs. After that, terrific. That is the Domingo Herman that the Yankees need to see. Now, I saw this today. Before we hit a voicemail, I saw this today. And we're going to have Peter King on. We're going to have my main man, Jerry Ferrara, on. But Dave Gettleman continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. And if you listen to my radio show for all these years, you know my feelings on Dave Gettleman. I am not a fan. I think he is completely overmatched. I think he has made some baffling roster decisions. And I'll give him some credit for the move that he made Last year in Martinez, bringing him in, and Bradbury and bringing him in. Ah, tip cap there. But a lot of the philosophies within the organization have been beyond questionable. So Gettleman has his, you know, pre-draft presser on Thursday. And there's a soundbite here that I want you guys to hear because, listen, like I said, I feel like Dave Gettleman in many ways for me is like Santa Claus. I know I'm always getting myself a present. Let's hear it tried in the past i I, honestly honest i've tried to trade back but it's going to be value i'm not getting fleeced i I refuse to do it and if you know somebody wants to make a bad trade back god bless them and but you know we've had opportunities i've tried you know and there you have to understand the other piece of this dan is sometimes you have a trade and the guy that the team is trading up for gets picked in front of you. I've had, we've had that happen to us. We got a trade. We got a trade, and the, and the so and so selects no trade. Dave, goodbye. <laughs> and they hang the phone up on me. So that happens too. I mean, it's really it's it's like it's almost becoming urban myth. I, I, I've tried. I really have. Urban myth. My goodness. Let's get this straight. Dave Gettleman in eight NFL drafts as a GM, has not traded down once. And the organization has not done it in 15 years. Come on. Something's got to give. You're telling me there hasn't been an opportunity at some point to trade down that would have been a beneficial trade for you? I find that hard to believe. Hard to believe. So, Giant fans toying with the idea that they're going to trade down. Not with this general manager. But hearing that sort of logic, hearing that sort of thought process, it's laughable. Because I don't buy for a minute that there haven't been opportunities to trade down and that every opportunity in trading down leads to a fleecing. I'm sorry. I'm calling BS on that. Calling BS. Before we hit Peter King, let's lead it off with a bang, shall we? Who's up? JJ, what's up, man? Uh, It's Anthony in Syosset. Listen. I've been enjoying watching this Nick team, but something about your Van Gundy interview that got me really giddy because I think what it did is it reinforced the fact that this team right now 
is playing with that 90s era mentality on defense, on offense, on loose balls. And it all stems from the head coach. Uh, listen, I'm excited. I'm not expecting much. If they get a 4-5 seed and can win a playoff round, I think that's tremendous experience for the young kids. And eventually maybe you get another 25-point score a game, um, you know, to, to compliment Randall. But I think what really shows you this team is back is all of a sudden we got some little chatter and chirping from the five or six Met fans that exist out there. Um, why don't they just worry about their own team, JJ, their own team of fucking – you know, mercenaries and pieces of shit that never play together. Uh, wh- why are they worried about the Knicks? I want your thoughts on that. Thank you. Anthony and Syosset coming out hot. And yes, I can see that Anthony is sort of annoyed and miffed by the Nets fan out there chirping about their team. And here would be my advice to the Knicks fan and the Nets fan at this point in time. And I'm always looking to stir the pot. Worry about your own team. The Nets have championship expectations. The Nets also have nobody on the court. Are they going to be right? Are they going to be ready for when the summertime comes to go and win a championship? And for the Knicks, listen, I'm not worried about the Nets right now. I'm enjoying my basketball team. I am enjoying them every which way. They play hard. They are tough. Anthony, you nailed it. They have embraced that 90s style. They really have. They play together. They have unbelievable chemistry. They've taken on the personality of the head coach. I love when the Knicks fans and the Nets fans are going at one another. But it's like, listen, right now you both got a whole lot to be excited about. And I think Nets fans expected that. Nick fans who thought this team was going to be in a position to get maybe a four seed. If you had the Knicks as a four seed at the beginning of the year, I'd give you a round of applause and I'd take you to Peter Lugas for dinner. I really would. Because you're a genius. You know a lot more than me. Jam-packed shell. Voicemail is going to be off the rails. We'll set the stage for the weekend. Jerry Ferrara is going to join us, but you know who else is going to join us? The authority on the NFL for a long, long time. My good buddy, the great Peter King, is up next. Let's welcome in one of my favorites, a man who needs no introduction, one of the great encyclopedias of knowledge when it comes to the NFL. (laughs) No, I say that in full sincerity, the great Peter King. Hey, Peter. John, good to see you in your new venue. And, uh, How's life going in the new gig? Peter, all is good. We are killing it yeah. here with New York, New York. We're the, you know, the still same zany, crazy JJ that you heard on radio for nine years, but now it's in, uh, it's in podcast form. You know, you've been around the business a long time. You know how to make the switch from venture to venture. So any, any notes that I need to take from you in the process? I mean, look, when I talk to journalism students and they say, what's your advice for me? I'm a sophomore at Penn State or whatever. I said, do everything. I agree. Because we have no idea what the world is going to be like in five years, maybe not even three years. So you just have to be ready and you got to be versatile. And, you know, if if you if you're comfortable doing the writing side of it, well, get comfortable then doing the the video side or the podcasting side or whatever. I, I, you know, one of the, some of the best stuff I hear now, honestly, are podcasts. And I'm totally, I, I'm, I listen to two or three podcasts every single day. And I just, I love the medium, especially the storytelling medium. So there's always a way to tell stories 
Uh, and, uh, you know, my whole thing is just make sure that you never close anything off. That's my one little piece of advice today. Well, and I hope that you'll be adding this podcast, by the way, to your uh, listening playlist. Good, I will. Especially I when will, the Yankees yeah. overtake the Red Sox at some point. Then <laughs> I, I think you'll enjoy it that much more. Now, Peter, let's get right down to business here. As yeah. you get ready for this draft, it's one week away. Does it feel as close to a normal draft? Last year was as crazy and as zany as any draft we have ever seen. Everybody was at home. We wondered if it would even happen. Does this year in many ways feel like business as usual? Maybe in the way the draft is going to be held, uh, John, because obviously one of the things that we see right now is that, uh, you know, the NFL is going to Cleveland. And so they're going to, and they're going to have players there. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is not going to go, but uh, Zach Wilson will be there and they're going to have a bunch of players there. So it'll be a little bit more business as usual, but let's forget the pageantry and let's talk about the draft itself. Like Gil Brandt, who uh, I think invented the draft. Uh, There's been 87 drafts and Gil has worked this is crazy. He's worked all but 19 of them. Wow. Um, so Gil Brandt told me the other day, this is the most unusual draft in his memory, just because, you know, let's look at a guy who's going to get picked in the first round, Caleb Farley. He's a cornerback from Virginia tech. He opted out last year and Caleb Farley has not played a football game as of this moment in 506 days. And he also had back surgery to uh, repair a herniated disc uh, about a month or so ago. So he's not going to be right physically until sometime in July. So, I mean, someone is going to pick Caleb Farley in the first round, even though he hasn't played a football game in over 500 days. And even though when they draft him, he's going to be recovering from significant back surgery. So there's, there's all kinds of guys in this draft. The top three offensive linemen in this draft did not play football last year. The, you know, there's player after player after player that, that has all these problems. Gregory Russo, you know, one of the top pass rushers from Miami. Gregory Russo didn't play football last year. He played football the previous year, and that's the only year in his life that he has rushed the passer. And now somebody is going to pick him probably in the first round to be a key to their pass rush unit. So I just think the draft in and of itself, I think some of the smart teams have deferred what they're doing to the future. You know, the dolphins have extra picks in the future, obviously Um, the, the Philadelphia Eagles could have three ones next year. That's smart because next year is going to be much more of a sane draft season do you feel comfortable putting Lawrence in the Elway Manning luck category as far as being a can't miss quarterback or are you kind of more on the fence with that I'm a little bit more on the fence uh not because I think there's anything wrong with him but because I think you know I think Lawrence from the very start has been put on this pedestal 
you know, he lost two games. He's lost two football games since high school. And, and those were both in the state of Louisiana in college football playoffs. So, you know, I, I just think that, and this is an odd thing to say, John, but when I look at Trevor Lawrence, the one thing that occurs to me is every quarterback in the NFL is going to have failure. Some of them massive failure. Trevor Lawrence will lose more games in his first month in the NFL than he lost in his entire college career. And, you know, Urban Meyer is going to lose more games, um, you know, as a, uh, as a coach in Jacksonville um, than uh, in two years than he lost almost in his entire career uh, at Ohio State in Florida. So I just think that, until we find out who who's around Trevor Lawrence, how well is he being coached? What kind of team is that? Until we find that out, it's hard for me to say, yep, absolute, can't miss. I, I don't know. I'm always a little hesitant with, with looking at guys who are stepping into a situation that's going to be really foreign. What are your football people, Peter? telling you about Zach Wilson and the fit for him being in New York City because he's got the arm, he played at a small school at BYU, and he's going to be supported better than the last quarterback was. I, th yeah. I think that goes without saying. It can't be any worse, you know, considering what Sam Darnold had to deal with for the last couple of years. But from what you've heard around the league, does mm -hmm. Wilson have the sort of personality that you need to have in order to play in New York? Look, I... I think I'm right in saying this, but I think I wrote the only story post uh, season, you know, with a long interview with Zach Wilson. And um, so I've spent, I don't know, an hour with him this maybe five weeks ago. And we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was somebody who knows him said to me, said, ask him about, driving to California six or eight times um, last year in order to work with his tutor, John Beck. So I asked him and he goes, yeah, I would, I'd basically leave Provo, get in my car and I would drive 10 hours to Orange County, California. And I would work out for two and a half days. Then I would get back in my car and go back to BYU. And he did that because his coaches told him at the end of his second year at Brigham Young, listen, you're in a, you're going to be in a competition for the job next year. We're opening it up three guys for the job. And I think he probably was confident that he would win the job, but he was put on notice. He didn't play particularly well. He had labrum surgery and he had a broken bone in his hand in his second year at Brigham Young and played just mediocre. And so he worked his, rear end off um, before last season in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, driving back and forth to Southern California to work with John Beck, because remember Brigham Young closed its facility at the time because of COVID and he wanted to work. He said, I can't, I can't use this as an excuse. So his desire is unquestioned. And I think when people talk about him as a player and what he does well, um, look, it, you've seen 
some of his off schedule throws and some of his throws where he's left the pocket and he's got to throw it from all different arm angles. And I think it's an overstatement to say he's Mahomes junior, but I do think there's been a lot of throws that he's made that have made NFL coaches gasp and really respect a lot of the throws he's made. And for a guy who's only six, two and about two twelve, he's got a strong arm. And that's one of the things that John Beck has worked with him on. And you're right with the New York jets. Look, the best thing I can say about the jets is that if you look at where they are right now and all the picks that they have, this is Joe Douglas's chance to rebuild this team from the inside out. And I'll tell you, there's no team that has as big of a responsibility in this draft to get it right as the New York Jets do. Because look, if they screw up, you know, say three or four of these top picks in this draft, you know, it's just going to be another yellow brick road to failure for the Jets. And so this is a huge draft. For the New York Jets. Um, we know it's a copycat league. The success of Justin Herbert last year, the success of Josh Allen. Do you get the sense, Peter, a lot of these NFL front office types are now saying to themselves, let's get ourselves a Herbert. Let's get ourselves an Allen. Because Allen coming out, I know I had this concern at Wyoming accuracy. Because a lot of the times... He was not Peter, an accurate quarterback. Yeah, that's what, you know, and that's tough to teach. You know, I always yeah. thought going in, if you don't have that element, if you can't bring that to the table... How are you going to learn in the NFL? And then I watch Allen last year. He's dropping dimes. He's playing great. Do you think now GMs are saying, we'll make it work with these other areas, whether it's uh, accuracy, this, that, if he's big, if he's got the big arm, and we could coach him and we could teach him, we could mold the quarterback in our own way? I think I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it is. I think different quarterbacks are viewed in different ways. Like, for instance, Mac Jones. Everybody is outraged to think that Mac Jones could go as high as number three overall. And I say, well, wait a second. You got two receivers, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, both of whom have been quoted as saying that they thought he threw a better ball, or I forget the exact way. I don't like those quotes, Peter, by the way, full disclosure. That didn't sell my quote. Well, we'll get we'll get to your ball club, but they said he's better than Tua, in essence. Here's a guy who had the most accurate NCAA Division I passing season in history last year, 77.4%. No one's ever been higher than that. He also had, among the top five quarterbacks in this draft, the most accurate deep ball percentage of all balls that traveled more than 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. He completed 58% last year. That is more than anybody of the of these top five guys. So everybody is saying, well, geez, how can how can he be going number three? How can he be going ahead of Justin Fields and you know, or, or however it works out with Justin Fields and Trey Lance? And my whole point is the game is still a throw and catch game. And Kyle Shanahan, you saw what happened uh, you know, in the year that they took Robert Griffin the third. And they backstopped Robert Griffin III with one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the draft that year, Kirk Cousins, who ended up playing longer in the NFL, a lot longer than Robert Griffin III. So I still think it is a throw-and-catch game. And I, I, just think that, I just think that more teams believe now that unless you have 
a top 10, 12 quarterback, you're not winning a Super Bowl. So with all that being said, that is why there is such a mania and such fervor around the quarterbacks this year in this draft. And it has been crazy to watch this because, look, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to go, John, but I could see the top four picks all being quarterbacks with Atlanta maybe trading out to a team that wants one. And then I can also see another team trading up to seven, eight, nine, right in that region to take the last quarterback. I think five quarterbacks are getting picked in the top nine of this draft. Okay. If there's a team to move up to four and take that pick from Atlanta, who are you looking at? I mean, if, and it's a huge if, I would say it's either Carolina or Denver, probably more likely Denver. Um, because, look, I think Denver, I think there's a good chance that if Denver doesn't move up and Denver doesn't take a quarterback, I think, you know, eight days from now we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater being a Denver Bronco. What about New um, England? You think New England could move up and get a quarterback? I think New England definitely can move up. If I had to pick a team, because look at it, though, John, if, if New England – moves up if if they said okay we want to go to number four you know they would really have to trade probably their next two ones to do that and if you are bill belichick as much as you want a quarterback of the future um do you want to trade basically three ones to pick a quarterback i i don't i don't know that i mean first of all bill's never done it i wrote the other day that the most incredible thing about Bill Belichick is that he has run, uh, he has run 25 drafts in his life for Cleveland and New England. And in those 25 drafts, he's never picked a quarterback higher than 62. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it would be ridiculously unprecedented for Belichick to do this. But the reason why I don't eliminate it is very simple. He just paid a jillion dollars for a bunch of free agents this year, and he's never done that before. You know, you're Bill Belichick, and you say, look, I don't like going seven and nine, you know, which might be seven and ten this year. I don't like losing. And so, and who knows how much longer he's going to coach, but I do think, I think it is probably more likely that Belichick, maybe if one of the quarterbacks is left and he really likes him, say it's Lance at like eight or nine, I could see him making a trade up, giving next year's one in order to do that. But I, I, I would be hard pressed to think he'd trade, in essence, three ones to move up for a quarterback. So, Peter, when all that day trading was going on with the Dolphins, I'm looking at apartments. So, a buddy of mine calls me. He's like, you're not going to believe what your team did. So, the first thing I'm thinking is they just made a trade for Watson, didn't they? And it's like, no, they go from three to 12. I get that notification. I see what. They got in return from San Francisco. I'm like, great, good move. Then they go to six. I, I feel like I'm riding the wave. I'm in Wall Street. Yeah. I'm Michael Douglas. I'm Charlie Sheen. Well, it happened in 26 minutes. No wonder. That's what I, mean. was- I got back from that apartment. <laughs> then I hop on Twitter. I think I was actually firing off a tweet. And I'm like, holy smokes, I got to fire off another tweet. Now, do you get the sense with Miami going from three to 12 and now back down to six? They have in their mind one particular player they think is going to be there 
They maybe didn't want to take him at three. They know they can end up taking him at six. You think they have their eye on maybe one individual? Yeah, I think, no, I think it was probably more like Chris Greer, Brian Flores basically said to each other, if we go from 12 to six, what that means is that we are going to end up with, you know, uh, there's, there are four great receivers in this draft. There's a tight end wide receiver hybrid, obviously in Kyle Pitts. Um, there's Jamar chase from LSU. And then there's Waddle and Smith from Alabama. And I believe that what Miami did in going to number six is exactly what San Francisco did in going from 12 to three, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan said, if we're not positive, who it'll be, are we comfortable staking our future on one of these three quarterbacks, Mac Jones, um, you know, uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, are we comfortable doing that? And yes, they were comfortable with doing that. Miami had to be comfortable knowing that, you know, really as many as three of those guys or two of those guys rather could be gone. So we have to decide, are we happy with the number three guy on that list of weapons? Let's say it's Jalen Waddle. Let's say it's Devontae Smith. I had a veteran general manager uh, say to me last week, speaking about Devontae Smith, who weighs 166 pounds, I had a veteran general manager say to me, point blank, Devontae Smith is one of the best football players I have ever seen. So there's, there's a lot of juice about all of these receivers up high in this draft. Pitts, Chase, Smith. One of those three, Peter. You're making a pick. Who's the guy? All three of them. I would take Pitts because, to me, I think he's just a rare, rare bird. Um, you know, he's, he's a... He's a guy who, although he'd probably be on the field in goal line situations, his forte isn't blocking, but he gives it a great effort. I watched some tape. There was a good little YouTube tape, and it showed a bunch of snaps of him blocking, and he really tries. So, <clears throat> But he's going to be a matchup nightmare. I remember uh, against Kansas City when Kansas City put a corner on Rob Gronkowski uh, in one of their matchups, uh, you know, after Mahomes got to Kansas city and they were playing him with a corner for part of the time. And so I just think he is that player. You're not going to be able to play him with a safety and feel comfortable. You're going to have to play him with either a nickel or an outside corner. And it's just, he creates so many different matchup problems that I think he's going to be, if he stays healthy, a fantastic pro. Make or break year for Daniel Jones. They go and get Galladay in the offseason, who I like. The question is, can he go and play 16 or 17 games? Something he hasn't done exactly a whole lot of. I think the Giants need skill position players, Peter. I know there's a need on the line. I know they're looking for a pass rusher. If Waddle or Smith is there for the Giants, and this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones, for me at least, Peter, that's tough to pass up. See, the great bonus in this one, JJ is that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles at 12 probably want Smith or Waddle too, you know? And so imagine if one of those guys is left 
after Dallas chooses at number 10 and you're the New York Giants at 11, think of it in two ways. Not only are you taking a receiver that you think is going to help you right away, but you're keeping that receiver from a division rival. And that is something that if I were the Giants, I'd definitely be thinking about. You know, look, <clears throat> I don't know what uh, what Joe Judge feels about his line right now, because I would be worried after last year um, about Thomas. I, I and I would, and there were you know, a lot of studs in that draft too, Peter. You yeah, look at back Tristan Wirfs is, is Tristan Wirfs was the last one, and he's probably going to end up being the best one. But but all I'm saying is that. I don't know if Joe Judge deep down inside right now believes that is this guy salvageable? Might we have to move him inside to guard at some point? I mean, what what is this guy really going to be? You know, and obviously Nate Solder is at best a short timer, you know, there. So, I mean, if you're the Giants and you're sitting there and here comes Rashawn Slater you know, who some people in this draft feel is better than Panay Sewell. You know, if the Northwestern tackle is there, I think you got to seriously consider him if you're the New York Giants. And I understand your point about get another weapon. I get it. But that line has been a sieve. It's just been a sieve. And I, I would be, right now, I would be more concerned because think about this, JJ. In the second round, you know, in the last, I'm going to do a chart in my column, this, this, or a, a section of my column this coming Monday. And I'm going to show you how, if I was a team, unless I thought that I was going to be drafting Jerry Rice or something, I, I, I would wait till the second round to take a pick because in the last few years, over, the overall quality of wide receiver, in my opinion, has been better in the second round. Well, on look average, at Claypool last year, been, Metcalf yeah. a couple years ago, not first yeah. round picks. You're going to find a really good wide receiver in the second round. And that's why if I'm the Giants, I'd be fine. Look, Kenny Galladay was what, a third round pick. Uh, Sterling Shepard was not a high pick. So, I mean, these, these positions that you're taking guys, I think you got to be cognizant of history and cognizant of the positions that are really getting developed well in college football. And that's why if I were the Giants, I'd probably wait for my receiver. Final one. You've been doing this a long time. You think about guys through the draft process. Is there one, Peter, where you say, man, I couldn't have been more right about, and on the other hand, here's a guy I couldn't have been more wrong about. Like, thinking about it over the years. Is there, like, one example of each that, like, keeps coming back to you as we uh, approach April was, year got, after year? I got sucked into Johnny Manziel. So did I. That makes two I of us. I was wrong. I, I was wrong. And because he did an entire personality makeover. I remember, when did I talk to Mike? I, I forget if it. Mike Mayock was the same way. Mike Mayock went on TV and he said, I believe in, uh, in Johnny Manziel. And here's the thing that I kept thinking about when the whole Manziel thing was happening. I kept thinking that um, he's going to wake up, you know, and it, because look, and remember, he had Josh McCown in his room with him for a while. 
And Josh McCown was great for him, but he just kept reverting back to the party guy. And he just, he blew it. He absolutely, totally blew it because it was all going to be, it was all going to be right for him. Now, the other, the other question that you asked, the guy who I really believed in at the time, and this is an ancient one, and it's a weird one, but I just remember thinking uh, the first year I ever covered pro football was in 1984. And I remember thinking after having a long session, I worked in Cincinnati with rookie coach of the Bengals, Sam Weich, the day before the draft. I remember thinking, my God, they think that Boomer Esiason is going to last either low into the first round. They had like the 28th pick and then they had the 37th pick. And Sam said, we're going to get, we're going to get Boomer. You watch, we're going to get Boomer. And I just thought, positively, absolutely amazing. They are going to get Boomer size and they got him. And I just thought, <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories ever covering the NFL. And it was, it happened, you know, two months into me covering the game. That year, I mean, you have to think how long ago this was. I mean, this was 37 years ago. Okay, I wasn't even a thought to put it in so, perspective, Peter. Not so, even a thought. So this is 37 years ago and Boomer Esiason gets picked by the Bengals and, you know, and I am covering the draft that year in Cincinnati. I go outside, I'm at Riverfront stadium and I go outside and I get in my car and I drive to the greater Cincinnati airport. I find out the flight he's coming in on. And in those days, JJ, you just walked right up to the gate, no security, no anything. And I waited for his flight to come in from Baltimore. And he was on the flight along with the guy who they picked in the first round, Pete Koch, big defensive lineman. Now, I got to tell you, I had a two-door Volkswagen Rabbit. Okay. And I bring Boomer. I tell Boomer and Pete Koch, this other draftee, I said, hey, I'm Peter King with the Cincinnati Inquirer. I'm picking you up, you know, to take you into into uh, 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 Riverfront Stadium. And Boomer just shakes his head like he's thinking, oh my God, the Bengals let the sports writer come and pick him up at the airport. And so then Boomer sees the car and he goes, you've got to be bleeping me. <laughs> and so Pete Koch is 285 pounds. He sits in front. And, and Boomer's Boomer, not exactly a shrimp either, by no, the way. No, he's not. He's, a big, he's a big guy. So Boomer sits in back. And he's and he and he like he's he's got his feet stretched out over the seat, and he says to me, he goes, "Welcome to the effing NFL." <laughs> but anyway, that was a, that was the first draft I ever covered. But I just always thought Boomer has the uh, he's got the attitude to to be good. He he never thinks it's his fault. He never makes a mistake. He's one of these. He's just got this quarterback mentality. And I always thought he was going to be really good. That isn't exactly what you asked. But when you asked me about that, and I kept thinking, the Bengals are going to get the best quarterback in the draft at the end of the first, early in the second. But honestly, that's the way it used to be. Randall Cunningham, I think, was pick number 38. He was the first quarterback picked, I think, in 1985. So the world has really changed a lot as far as how the NFL views quarterbacks. 
You can take a bow for that one. Thank you for a couple of minutes. And I hope to see you at some point during the summer in Brooklyn. Beers on me for Yankees and Red Sox. Now that we're both vaccinated, okay? That's fantastic. Thanks, JJ. Would love to do it. That's the great Peter King. A lot more to do. Jerry Ferraro, listen to voicemails, all that more. New York, New York on the Ringer Podcast Network. Let's welcome in my main man. I've been waiting to have this guy on the pod since we started. I wanted him on my old radio show because I was a diehard Entourage fan. And he's like me. He's a big Nick fan. He's a big Yankee fan. The great Jerry Ferraro. What's up, Jerry? I cannot tell you how happy I am that we are doing this, man. And uh, yeah, I love what you're doing at the ringer now. It's all good. But this is like the perfect time. We're catching each other at the perfect time. Well, Jerry, did you ever think we'd be living in a world this year where Tom Thibodeau is the coach of the year, where Julius Randle is the most improved player and is getting like MVP consideration? And bro, the Knicks have won eight in a row. What's going on here? It's it, the only way I could describe it to people who, I mean, a lot of people know what goes through Nick fans' minds. So this is not new, new territory, but it's, it's like you woke up one day and you're making the coffee and your significant other walks in and you're like, Hey, I had the craziest dream last night. The Knicks were the four seed and Julius Randall was an MVP candidate potentially. And the future was brighter than ever. That's what this feels like. Like we're going to wake up from the greatest dream possible. You're a diehard Nick fan. You're a positive guy. I'm not. I got to be honest <laughs> with you, Jerry. When it comes to the Knicks, I'm positive normally with the Yankees. The Dolphins, that's my football team. I get delusional with them. And maybe it's because I only watch them 16 times a year. But the Knicks, dude, since Ewing, they've just beaten me down. They've just sucked the life out of me. And I got to be honest, like in December and in January, I wasn't ready. I wasn't willing to buy in. For you, though, and now I've completely bought in because the coach is a stud, Randall's a stud, whatever. When was the moment for you where you like looked up and said, holy shit, I think this team is pretty good? To be honest, you know, because I'm also like you, I, I and I, I go to a lot of Nick games, and I usually try to go to the early ones because by 15 games, you know, it's kind of like novelty's worn off a little bit. You don't want to go 70 games in when they're 40 games on the 500, bro. Well, yeah, I've been to those, like, games 78 versus the Wizards on a Tuesday night because also I will watch anyone play basketball at this point in my life. I just love the game so much. But even with a not-so-good Knicks team, it's still an amazing experience. But for me, it really was when they kind of made the Rose trade and I was very like, I'm like, okay, how is this going to work out? Because that's not really the point guard of the future. Right? So what is this? What are we doing? Why are we getting him on a second stint? Another vet? Like we have decent vets already. And when he came in that first game, I think he was like five for five in the first half and it just looked great. And I believe we won and we went on a little mini streak, but the, so I started buying in there, but really it was after this all-star break when we had the tough part of the schedule kick off and we kind of fell back down to the pack a little bit. And it's really been this last run that we're gearing up before this West Coast trip. So, uh, yeah, I, I still am skeptical to say, like, oh, we're, we could win a first-round series. Like, I, my, my superstitions won't allow me to do that just yet. But, God, it's just so much fun. This is I would so much rather this team. People are going to think I'm lying. I would rather this team than just, like, a big three team like I, I of course I would have loved Durant and Kyrie and Harden to be playing for the Knicks of course but I would have felt it just I know you would have felt dirty I know what yeah, it comes down yes, to bro because yes. listen we root for homegrown teams always I feel that way with the Yankees when you saw Jeter and Moe and Bernie and even I know this team's flaming out right now when Judge came up and when Sanchez yep. came up it's like well you didn't have to go and give them 300 million dollars 
The fact that R.J. Barrett's a draft pick, the fact that IQ is a draft pick, nobody wanted Julius Randle. I mean, eventually, Jerry, you want him to get to the top of the mountain. This team is not ready to do that yet. But the fact that they're doing it the right way, bro, I totally get that. Yeah, and look, I give a lot of respect for Randall. Obviously, what he's done this year is incredible coming off the year, and he's been very honest about how he considered last year for himself a major disappointment. And he's one of the few guys who maybe really, you know, because the Knicks stopped playing basketball last year in March, you know. I don't know how he was able to make the most of his time dur- during these cra- this crazy last year with COVID and everything, but he made the most of it. And he is accepting that challenge that not many people necessarily want. Like Melo took the challenge, whether you love Melo or you don't, or you thought he did well in New York or you didn't, he wanted to be the man on the Knicks. And yeah, Randall's stakes were maybe a little lower when he came in, but now they're higher and he's actually rising even higher than that. So my hat's just off, man. Like I was upset when Taj got cut last night and had to leave the game. I'm like, we need him so bad. Isn't it amazing when talking about the Knicks actually needing Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel? But they do, bro. They do. Yeah, and now the, look, the Rose for a second-round pick looks genius. The Alec Burke signing, I even loved it back then. I'm like, oh, we finally got a shooter. He shot 40-something percent last year. So, he, I mean, we need him back. Like, if we can't get now, we're going to start talking ourselves into, well, if we get healthy, maybe Mitch comes back. Maybe we see the Hawks in the first round. Well, who are you Celtics? rooting for? Let me, let me stop you right there. Who is the team that you would prefer to play in the first round? I don't want any part of Miami. I don't think they'd beat Miami. If Miami works up and they're like a 4-5, I'm not going to be feeling good. I think Atlanta or Charlotte, I'll take my chances with either one. And I don't think they'd beat Boston, but just because I could give Simmons shit for two weeks and I feel like they have (laughs) nothing. The Knicks have nothing to lose in that series. I kind of would enjoy that. I'm not going to lie, Jerry. That would be Look, fun. Look, our last playoff series victory was against the Celtics right. in 14. That was, you the, know? That was the, did- uh, the funeral game, dude. I went to game five, and I was cursing them out coming back from the garden. Whole team's wearing black. They think their shit don't stink. They get smoked. And, dude, you remember game six, they had, like, a 30-point lead, and the Celtics yep. almost tied it? I was yep. like, oh, my God, crazy. I remember, too, isn't that when... J.R. Smith inadvertently elbowed Jason Terry, like knocked him out. And that kind of changed a lot of the tie too. Uh, listen, I don't want Miami, or at least I didn't want Miami because in those losses that we have, I think we're 0-2, maybe 0-3 versus them this year. Every game was close. And you could see fourth quarter, three minutes to go, close game. Jimmy Butler just like literally showed like big balls and said, all right, I'm winning the game. And we had no answer for that. We didn't know how to really win those games just yet we are starting to win those games although we were not looking at jimmy butler last night the hawks did scare me last night john i don't like what i saw and if trey young stays in that game i am not sure that we don't lose that game by 10 like he was that double staggered screen and gives him a full head of steam you got capella roll and you got herder in the corner and trey's just like pump faking everywhere i don't really know how you stop it it's kind of it's kind of gross in a good way for them Okay, there's one guy this summer, Jerry Ferrara could add to the New York Knicks. (sighs) Who is that guy? For me, I'm being realistic here because my buddy just texted me Kawhi a few hours ago, and I'm like, listen, I'm not going there. I'm going to be realistic with this. How about Lonzo Ball? How do you feel about Lonzo Ball as a Nick next year? Pass first point guard, shooting is a lot better. Exactly, I think, what this team needs. A guy to kind of get the group into the offense. Are you... uh, you buying in on Alonzo? 
I am, although, you know, uh, I still don't know why he helped off a Bullock on that great Rose drive. Oh, thank you for that. I I don't know how you don't follow up three, but that's a story for a different day, Jerry. But uh, I do think Lonzo could fit great. He really got it. He has to continue. Like, we need shooters. That's the bottom line. We see now, we all know, but especially with the Knicks and with a guy like Randall, what shooting does for that team. Like, they've been shooting from three really well the last two or three games. And the whole offense is different when that's happening. If Lonzo could continue to elevate that three-point game, he's a good fit because he's on ball, he's off ball, he could guard wings, point guards. Like, he's kind of that that point guard. So they say, oh, I don't know if he's even a true, true point guard at this point that you kind of got to have these days. And, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely for sure think that that's a great target to go after. You know what I love so much about you, bro? You are true blue. You know, there are a lot of Hollywood guys out there they say they're Yankee fans. They say they're Knicks fans. It's Fugazi. With you, it's legit, man. I can tell. You know your shit. Knicks, Yankees, Giants. I respect the hell out of you for that. Do you have a favorite amongst the three, though? Like, when you think Jerry Farrar, is it Giant fan? I know you love them all, but do you have a favorite team amongst the three? Yes. So, and I actually have a good, I have a question for you. I have a couple questions for you, right? Oh, I like this. But okay. It used to be when I was a kid, cause baseball was my first love. And my mom is like the biggest Yankee fan ever. She is a reason why I'm a Yankee fan. I used to memorize every batting average on the back of a card. Her favorite player was Don Mattingly and Mikey Pags, Mike Pagirulo. People want to say like, Oh, you're a Yankee fan. Like I, I'm a kid of the eighties. The Yankees were terrible. You want to go through those lineups? You know how I tell people I'm a true Yankee fan. Let's talk about Alvaro Espinosa the best bunter in the American League. That's what he was known for. The best bunter. You want to talk about Butch Weiniger or the year Dave Rigetti led the league in saves and we were under 500 or when, uh, oh, what's his name, threw the no-hitter and lost. Is that uh, Andy, Andy Hawkins. Hawkins? Yeah, Andy, Andy Hawkins. Hawkins against the Chicago White Sox threw a no-hitter and lost. So I earned my Yankee championships. But right now, as a 41-year-old man, father of one and a future second on the way. Congrats, by the way, on that. Congrats. Thank you. It's, it's, it's the Knicks, man. It, the Knicks are number one. It's because it's just been the elusive Well, because you, it's the chase, bro. Think about it. You've seen all the success with the Yankees. Eli and the Giants won you two Super Bowls. You haven't had that parade down the Canyon of Heroes for the Knicks. So here's my question, okay? And you're not a Giants fan, but just pretend for a second. I'm a Dolphins fan, sec- but I'm right. chasing too. I'm chasing You're chasing too. But pretend for a second you're a Yankee Giant fan, okay? What ring would you trade from either two franchises to give the Knicks a ring this year? You have to pick one ring you have to get rid of. Wipe it from the history books. It never happened. And then that ring then becomes a New York Knicks 2021-22 championship. Which one are you getting rid of? I know which one I'm getting rid of. Ooh, I think it would be a Yankee ring because they have five. I yes. can't say 09 because then you'd be looking at a 20-year drought without a title. Can't say 09. Can't say, can't 09. say Subway Series. No way. I would throw. And it can't the- be 98, bro, because that was the year the Yankees won 114 games. It's then that historic. season goes swept- right down the toilet. It's historic. It- Here's the problem. The Braves, it would probably be 99 against the Braves. Yes. The issue is, though, Jerry, that whole team in the 90s, right? The I Yankees know. were, without a doubt, the team in the 90s by yes. winning three out of four. Atlanta wins that World Series. I think Atlanta takes the cake there, bro. I yeah, like the uh, the unfair answer for me is that giant Super Bowl and what was it, 85, 86, or 85, whatever, pre Scott The Phil Sims, Denver, the Denver yeah, Super Bowl. That, yeah, because like, I was like six years old. That's the easy answer, but I don't want to take that away. Can't do 90 for the Giants because that was the greatest 
championship almost of my life. That NFC championship game against the Niners when Matt Barr won it for him with a field goal. Not only do they win that game, then my uncle takes me that night to see Home Alone in the movie theater at nine years old. Greatest day ever for a nine-year-old kid. Home Alone won a two, by day. the way. One. Part one. See, I'm two. The New York storyline suckers me in, Jerry. Suckers it's me in great. every year. It's, it's great. great, but talk about like that day for a nine-year-old. Matt Barr no, kicks your way into the Super Bowl, and then you're seeing Home Alone at eight o'clock that night. It was the best. Can't give away any of the Patriot rings. That's just blasphemy. Like That'll never happen. I think I... I think I throw that 99 Braves ring out 90, there. Hey, listen, if it's the Yankee title, it's 99. Because if you're yeah. going down the list, 96, special, down on Special, two. special. 98, you can't ruin that season. And you can't lose to the Mets. Because no. you know this. If the Yankees won three out of four and they lost that 2000 Subway Series, it's like those three out of four would have meant shit, dude. You know that. I don't even know if this podcast happens if that happens. Yeah, like, you it's and like me the both. sports almanac. Entourage doesn't happen. My radio career doesn't <laughs> right. happen. Nothing That's happens. It. We go down the other path. You know what Turtles I mean? Turtles a Met it's fan. It's, it's terrible. Turtles a Met fan or like all the guys in Entourage are from Boston. Yeah, it would have been bad. Okay. I love the show. I was just telling the guys before you came on. I was super sick my freshman year. So I guess what year did you guys start Entourage? 2004? It started airing in 2004. Yeah, I was 23 years old. I was a child. So I'll give you a little perspective. Freshman year, we're all getting sick around the dorms. My buddies, Boston guys, mind you, they're like, you got to watch this show, Entourage. And I'm like, let's go. Everybody's talking about it. I'm sick as a dog. Jerry, I binge watched like three seasons illegally, the whole deal. (laughs) And then that was it. I, You know, now with television... I feel like it's, you know, on-demand age. I watch whenever the hell I want to watch. With your show, every Sunday night, bro, with you guys in The Sopranos, that was that was appointment theater television, dude. That's kind of cool to think about, no? It, it was a great, it was a great time for that. I do think, like, Game of Thrones might have been the last version of that where it's like, you got to watch it in the moment with the group of people or else you just miss out like that event watch. I don't know if we will ever really get that outside of sports again, but to give a little bit of a shout out to like the on-demand generation, right? First season of Entourage, critically, we did really well. Critics loved us. Couple of Golden Globe nominations and stuff. But like ratings wise, wasn't like a juggernaut by any stretch. I think on like any other network, we're canceled because the numbers are soft. But it was the DV, the TiVo, not even DVR, TiVo, and on-demand era. So, so many people watched the show when it was off the air in, be- in between seasons one and two that when we came back for season two, our numbers were through the roof. And we're like, how did this happen? And it was all because of that on-demand college kids like yourself who are down with the flu or whatever, watching Entourage. Like, it, the on-demand numbers, I think we were the highest HBO on-demand show for a while, because everybody watched Sopranos in the moment. I think I, I think there was a couple of years where we like led the way with that. Well, and I'm sure you get this all the time. I feel like every friend group you try to like identify with like the Vinny, the E, the drama, the turtle. Like, how many times do people say, you know, I was the turtle of your group or I was the E of your group? I feel like that you got to be hearing that shit all the time. So, first of all, everybody to this day, I'll still, particularly in LA or New York, but even more so in New York, like. More people invite me to, and now it's vaping, but like the amount of blunts and joints I was offered, like, hey, yo, bro, you want to come smoke this joint? I'm like, you know, normally I would say yes, but I I don't, I don't really want to, I know how this goes. Like maybe it's laced with something. I'm just going to take a pass. All right. 
I always had fun with people when they came up and did the, hey, I'm the Vince in my group. And I'd look at them and go, nah. really? You're, Get the fuck you're out the, of oh, here. <laughs> interesting group you got there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, man, I think that's what a little bit of the secret to the success was, was it, you know, obviously Hollywood and LA was the backdrop and we hadn't really had a show that focused on LA the way we did. But at the end of the day, man, it was about friends. It was about you and your buddies growing up. Like, yeah, you should see us in you. Like, it's just a group of friends who were living this life that maybe they didn't quite fully deserve. And at any moment, the bouncer was going to shine the light and say, you guys got to get out of here. You don't belong here. Okay. Your character. I tweeted you this the other day on 420. Let's be honest, Jerry. A little <laughs> ahead of his time. Uh, gambling. Weed. Uh, tequila companies. Gaming. Gaming. gaming? Esports guy. <laughs> Not too shabby, bro. Ahead of your time. Who knew Turtle was ahead of its time? And I got to say, you sent, you sent that tweet out and I looked at it and I kind of sat there and I rubbed my chin and went, I guess if you really do, like, I guess really he was a little bit ahead of his time for sure. Uh, we and, me and a couple of guys, Kevin Connolly particularly, always talk about, we're obsessed with like Vince's financial career, right? Like how much money did he make versus how much money he spent and how much money does he have today? We're all convinced Vince is broke this to this day like right now he is broke because he spent a lot of money but turtle might have bailed everybody out with tequila and now everybody has a tequila company and we might be uh drinking some avion and if the knicks win a first round <laughs> series bro we might have to bring you back on and do a couple of cheers shots oh you know? my god if the knicks win a f- I, I don't really get drunk these days uh but yeah that might be one of those nah, it's a special Rob, occasion at special. least one sip of a little avion now your character the storylines, dude, think about it. Avion, Mark Cuban, Meadow Soprano. Uh, you think about any of the turtle storylines. Do you have one that's a favorite? <sighs> I, I do love the tequila storyline because at that point in the show, you know, we were like six years in and I would always ask Doug Allen, our, our showrunner creator, like, you know, I'd ask him stuff like, when's turtle going to get a name? Uh, is he ever going to get a job, you know? And then when I started like losing weight and stuff, I think that's where Doug might've started that's to like feel the That's like transformation, heat. bro. Yeah. I mean, you went from, you know, heavy set turtle to jack turtle. It's like crazy. So I think that kind of storyline, and it, it kind of is tied together where like the, the Jamie Lynn character definitely motivated the turtle character to kind of get his shit together between you and I. So those things kind of connected. I was some of my favorite favorite stuff for for turtle for sure but i mean i got to be i don't want to say like the b-side but you know early on those first five years i was like the johnny drama sidekick right i was a part of all of dylan's storylines kevin with kevin dylan is just an assassin with some of that material man like i could not keep a straight face for 12 hours a day watching him do his thing he is just hilarious okay you're a guy who's this diehard sports fan and you guys are getting Everybody on that show. I mean, you name me the athlete. If they weren't on Entourage, it was more like, well, what's wrong with you? How come you haven't been on the show? Who is your favorite athlete to do a cameo on Entourage? God, I mean, look, I, you know, and you, you mentioned Simmons earlier. I don't know how he's going to feel about this. It has to be Tom Brady. Wow. And it pains me to say. Even from you as a Giant fan, it was Brady. It pains me to say it as a Giants fan. Although I don't have any beef with Tom Brady. We got, we're got 2-0 and in the Super Bowl. Like, we're cool. I got nothing I against him. I never understand, by the way, Jerry, Giant fans who hate the Patriots. I always would say, 
the Patriots continuing to win makes yeah. you guys look better and better and better. We're being hundred percent. Like I like even the Brady Super Bowl with the Bucks, even though it wasn't a, a non-Patriot Super Bowl, it just only adds to the lore of Eli Manning and those two championships. So I'm good with it. But the Brady story is really unique because. That it was the golf storyline. We were supposed to, it was Brady and Wahlberg versus Johnny Drama and Vincent Chase. That initially was written for Eli and Peyton Manning, right? And then something happened like two or three weeks before we started shooting the episode. They dropped out. So we have no, and that episode was written for them. So we have no show. We have no episode. And that's where Wahlberg being like the executive producer is kind of like the ultimate ace in the hole. He's like, oh, you want me to call Tom? Or like, Tom, Tom and Jerry, Tom Brady. Yeah. Call. Can you give him a call? And like that, it was like, all right, it's going to be me and Tom. We'll do it. And, uh, Brady showed up. This was coming off the injury that he was out for the year and that injury against the chiefs. So no one seen him play football in a year. And he showed up to set 5am on a golf course in LA and we're all messing around on the tee and he grabs a driver and he just kind of, that's why I thought he was going to do good in that celebrity golf thing. Cause he just boomed the drive like three ten right down the middle at five in the morning. Couldn't have been nicer. Cool with the crew sign stuff was just awesome. And that just sticks out to me. And I got to talk shit to him. And well, he that's took the it best so part. well. Did you actually talk a lot of shit to Tom Brady? Well, in the show, yeah. Like, th- that's the other thing. Like, that whole, you know how many people come up to me with, like, the whole Tom Brady, like, you suck balls? Like, that gets quoted to me all day and night. And that was literally a quote. Doug and I, I think when Doug was writing the new script for the Tom Brady stuff, we wanted that kind of shit-talking quote. So we called my biggest giant fan friend, Paul, and he's like, ask him what he would say if he saw Tom Brady in the street the night before the Super Bowl. I'm like, Paul, we had him on speakerphone. I said, night before the Super Bowl, you see Tom Brady out of the bar. What do you say? And he's like, I'm fucking telling him he sucks fucking balls. <laughs> it's like, done. Thank you. There you go. Right in there. It's amazing yeah. how that shit kind of comes full circle. And I'm glad, by the way, you guys made the movie. I love the movie. I thought it was awesome. Did you enjoy doing a movie, like giving the show a decent amount of closure? I did. Uh, I, was, I was always torn between the like, you know, we did almost 100 episodes. I really do feel like we wrapped up well and we were on such a high note when we wrapped up. It's like, what more can you do to these guys? Because we, I think the show always worked best when you knocked everyone down and then brought them and built them back up. But I mean, it, it really was like, it, it was almost like an old band on like a, like a victory tour. Like we're taking like a lap and it was really made for like the fans of the show. And there was a lot of, you know, not that there was a lot of hate, but there was a lot of people who maybe were casual fans who then maybe saw it and like expected something different. It like, it was like a love letter to the fans of the show. If you watched 96 episodes, like this is for you. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had a blast doing it and it was definitely a cameo fest in places for sure. Baby two on the way. Are you worried about the uh, handicap going to like 30, like mine? I always do the over under with my friends. I did it with our first son, Jacob, where like we were about two weeks out from the birth and I'm like, how many, and it's almost the same due date. My son was born May 5th. This baby's due May 3rd. So the dual birthday's in play. So and what's it's my, late, by the way, Jerry, if it's May 15th, then number two and yours truly have something in common. So oh, if your wife's yeah. late, just saying. Just All saying. right. So you'll, you'll be good with this. So golf season East coast starts now. Goes till we'll call it, we'll say Thanksgiving is a fair time to say it ends, right? Like, it's unless you're a over. sick, crazy person like me and you'll play in 40 degree weather, but normal people, yes, Thanksgiving. I gotta have a five in front of it, it has to be 50. Or it has higher. to be a five, okay, fair enough, fair enough. How, what's the over under now? I got a two year old and a newborn. 
over under rounds of golf from birth till uh, Thanksgiving in November. Over under. I average now with one baby, no second baby. I'll average, you know, I'll get out there once a week to once every two weeks. So I average about two to four rounds a month. Okay. I am going to say from May to Thanksgiving, Cherry Ferraro will play. I'm going to set the total four and a half. Okay. Four and a half. Is that a little too well? <sighs> Normally I would say yes, but I, I just have no idea. Like my, my, my son is like, he just doesn't sit still. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. What so basically he's going to be like a great linebacker or outfielder because he's going to be going sideline to sideline or a gap to gap, man. You say, yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's going to be. So I, I would say I would take the over right now, but that could be well, one of those fair smart line Vegas Four lines. Four and a half is too low. What, what's the Jerry Ferraro line? I would set it at six and a half, but okay. here's why four and a half is kind of smart. You would just get so many people pounding the over. And if you know something that everyone else doesn't, you might be a big winner because that's very, two rounds of golf is in play. Final one. You're a Brooklyn guy. Slice of pizza. Last slice of pizza. Where you getting it? L and B. Let's go. My man. I knew you were going to say, I should have known. I should have known. Brooklyn through and through. Even though I am Staten Island now via Brooklyn, Jerry. That was our, it was Lee's Tavern on Staten Island. Yep. Or it was right over the bridge, Belt Parkway, sit in traffic for a few minutes, and boom, eat outside at L&B, man, get a little spumoni Did you ever go inside the restaurant? I think we've eaten dinner in there once as a family. I don't think no I've one... ever eaten inside at L&B, to be honest with you. No and it's always does. great. Like, this time of the year, man, when it's getting nice. It's the best. See, now I'm going to go get L&B uh, at some point over the next two weeks. I'll oh, think that you. sounds so good right now. I'm definitely going to have to get some of that soon myself. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. Hopefully, we have some more Knickerbocker basketball to talk to as far as winning ways, winning vibes. Dude, what a world, man. The Knicks are the four seed in the Eastern Conference. Let that sink in. I, 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 I could, Honestly, it could make me cry. I could cry right now hearing that. So, But thank you, bro. And keep, keep up the good work. We, uh, we need you right now. We need you right now. This is the time we need you in New York. We're trying. That's the great Jerry Ferraro. We got listener voicemails, got some gambling stuff, all that more. New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. So that was a ton of fun hanging out with my dude, Jerry Ferraro. That's actually the first time I've ever had him on one of my shows. And I kind of got geeked out because I'm a big Entourage fan. I'm telling you, I got into that show in college and watched it religiously. And you know what I respect the hell out of Jerry for? The fact that he's not one of these fraud Hollywood types. As a New York sports fan, he is Inuit. And I love that. I know what Mets fans don't love. What you saw the last three days in Chicago. This is a brutal, brutal week for the Mets. Brutal, brutal, brutal week for the Mets. I mean, they scored less than three runs a game in this series. They were three for 20 with runners in scoring position. They got terrible starting pitching, 6-3 ERA. I mean, I know you didn't have Stroman in this series. I know you didn't have DeGrom in this series. but I expected the Mets to find a way to get the third game here. And when they fought back to tie it, and Castro works out of trouble in the bottom half of the eighth inning, I'm thinking for sure the Mets are going to win this game. They got their A relievers ready to rock and roll. And in the 10th inning, the at-bats were just pathetic. McNeil, pathetic. Dominic Smith, a bases loaded one out. Dude, you cannot ground into a double play. And the Mets now fall to 500. 
They're fortunate in many ways to be 500 because they pulled the couple of games out of the fire. The home opener against the Marlins, they pulled out of the fire. First game of the doubleheader against Colorado, they pulled out of the fire. Game against Philadelphia, they found a way to win. They're not hitting. Look up and down the Met lineup. They are not hitting. Aside from Alonzo, who's hit a couple of bombs here over the last couple of days, McNeil has not hit. Conforto's been a disaster. And, you know, my buddy, my old pal, the great Nittany Lion, Mike Fugelman, texted me this earlier. When the Conforto double missed a home run by about, like, an inch, two inches, I'm sure there are a whole lot of Mets fans saying, here we go, woe is me. And I can't get on Diaz tonight. Sorry, this game is not about Edwin Diaz. He did his job in the bottom half of the ninth inning. All right, he gave up a run in the 10th inning with a runner on second base. You live with that. You live with that. You don't score in the top half of extra innings with a runner on second base and nobody out. You don't deserve to win. To me, it's really as simple as that. The Mets played a pathetic game last night. They had chances to win on Tuesday. They had chances to win here on Thursday night. They don't get it done. That's a bad Cub team. You should not be getting swept by that Cub team. I don't care if DeGrom and Stroman didn't pitch in this series. You should not be getting swept. And the Met bats got to come to life. It's really as simple as that. That's why people ask me, what are the Mets going to do with their base between Davis and Luis Guillerme? They're going to play Davis. They're not scoring. They're not scoring runs. They need all the offense they can get. Davis is going to play. You want to have Louis G as your defensive replacement, as your caddy? Fine. Go right ahead. You want to tell me Davis is not going to play every day? I get that. For the most part, they're going to want his bat in the lineup. So now the Mets will play the Nationals this weekend. DeGrom's going. Stroman is going. And Scherzer and Strasburg are not pitching for the Nationals. Strasburg's hurt, and Scherzer pitched few days ago. Go win two out of three. This is a series you want to put behind you. And the takeaway for me with the Mets is you got to start scoring some runs. There's a common theme here in New York City with their baseball teams. Not a whole lot of punch offensively. Listen to voicemail time. We started with a bang earlier with Anthony and Syosset. Now, we open it up. Full-fledged. No holds bars. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. What do we got? Hey, JJ. It's Richard in Brooklyn. The Knicks got me giddy. They got me giddy. Like the 2017 Yankees. Something like that. I got that vibe again. The Knicks are on fire. My only question for you is this. I'm buying the hype now. I'm loving it. But we know the NBA's uh, league, you got to have a superstar to win. You got the big three in Brooklyn. You got LeBron and AD in LA. Who's that superstar, that big player we should be looking for? to appear with RJ, with Julius, and quickly to take us to the next level, take us to the promised land that us Knicks fans are still thirsty for. Thanks, JJ. Love the show. Richard, it's an excellent question. It's an excellent, excellent question because we had similar vibes with Brooklyn a couple of years ago before they landed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and that was a feel-good team. It's different because you're comparing Brooklyn to the New York Knickerbockers, and especially the just sad history of the Knicks over the last 20 years, fan base is that much more desperate. They are going to have to add a star player of some sort. But it's got to be the right guy. It's impossible to tell right now. Is Kawhi Leonard staying in Los Angeles? My gut would tell me yes. 
I think some delusional fans are going to try to throw his name into the ring. It might be another disgruntled superstar. You never know how the NBA works. So for the time being, I would try to build the young, emerging, up-and-coming team. They go and sign Alonzo Ball in the offseason. There's nothing wrong with that, Richard. I see your point on the superstar. It is a star-driven league. But you can't now say, oh, we're going to just keep waiting, waiting, waiting. You got a good team. You got to try to add to it. Who's next? JJ. Anthony in Jersey City. Can't be too loud because I've been screaming at this Knicks game all night, and I'm, I'm pretty sure my fiance is ready to break up with me for how much of a lunatic I'm being. Listen, man, everyone's talking about Tibbs should be coach of the year, Randall should be most improved, and I agree with that. But let me tell you, the biggest lock should be Leon Rose for executive of the year. You look at what this guy has done. He brings in quickly. He brings in Nerlens Noel. He brings in Derrick Rose for literally nothing. Alec Burks. Uh, and not to mention they still have a shitload of cap room. We still have all these draft picks coming up. Everything that this guy has touched this year has turned to gold. And, oh, yeah, he's the one that decided to bring in tips. So, I mean, really, if you want to talk about any type of lock, it's, it's Leon Rose turning this team around in legitimately less than 12 months. All right, man, let me know what you think. Appreciate it. And Leon Rose has done an incredible job. This is where I disagree, though. To me... The front office in Phoenix is going to get love from taking a team that was the darling of the bubble, adding Chris Paul, complimenting the team with Devin Booker, and getting them to the top spot within the Western Conference. See, I'm like separating executive and coach because of the talent level. Think about the talent level that was added to the Phoenix Suns. I don't think the Knicks are particularly talented. I, I don't. I don't think they're one of the four or five most talented teams in the East. I mean, to you. So I want more of the love and more of the credit from an award standpoint to go to Tibbs. And this is not taken away from Leon Rose and World Wide West in any way. They've done a great job. But I'm giving more love, for me at least, to the coach. Who's up next? Hey, this is Danny from Brooklyn. Originally Boston. I'm feeling embarrassed for you guys and all your joy for your little modicum of success. We got championships now flying high, and you guys are happy about being a round one bounce out. Enjoy. You know, Danny, not for nothing. If you're a Boston Celtics fan, and I'm not going to compare resumes, and I'm not going to compare franchises, let this sink in for a minute. Let it sink in for a minute. Your team won one title with their big three. Just one. Now, I would take one. But you're the big, bad Boston Celtics. You should have won a lot more than one. Then I hear about this rebuild all the time. And this great trade that you fleeced Brooklyn on when it comes to, you know, KG and, and uh, Pierce and Perry and all the picks. Yeah, I, I get it. What has that exactly led to for Boston? A couple of Eastern Conference Finals appearances? So you could take your high horse and stick it with a sun done shine, okay? That's why I want a Knicks-Celtic playoff series in the absolute worst way. Because to me, the Knicks have nothing to lose in that series. They have nothing to lose. The Celtics, on the other hand, you can't lose to the Knicks. Where you're at as a franchise and where the Knicks are at as a franchise, you can't lose that series. I want that series bad. For our buddy Danny, for my buddies who went to college with me, the great Brian Patrick, and Murray, and Kevin Mick, and all the... All, all these Boston jabronis that I deal with all the time. And then, of course, the ultimate Boston, Mongo. My new boss, the great Simmons. Yeah, I would enjoy a 
back and forth with BS. Maybe a little wager on the line. Perhaps. So I'm rooting for Knicks and Celtics. I know some are shying away from it. Bring it on. That's my approach. My mentality. Bring it on. Who's next? Hey, JJ. It's Manmeet from Albany. Big Ringer fan. Congrats, man. I, I love the new show, and I'm fired up to finally hear some New York content on the Ringer. Uh, look, I'm calling in because I'm absolutely fucking pumped about this Knicks team. I mean, they're fucking electric, JJ. And it couldn't be a starker contrast with what we're seeing from the Yanks right now. But besides that, I think the way they play, the way they fight for each game, it's exactly what we want to see from New York teams. And I couldn't help but notice it's, it's kind of why some folks were getting excited about what Joe Judge is preaching over there to the Giants. Uh, so I wonder if you think there could be a storyline like this for the Giants next year. Anyway, uh, love to see the Knicks represent New York like this. And uh, congrats again, man. See ya. Appreciate the kind words. Without a doubt, these feel-good stories, when it involves one of your teams, is the best. I had it with the Yankees in 2017. I didn't think they were going to make a run in the postseason. They won the wild card game. They were down 0-2 against the Indians, came storming back. And then they were up 3-2 against the Astros before, you know, they lost game six and game seven at Minute Maid Park. But you came away from that season feeling really good because it's a part of that innocent climb. The Knicks are kind of in the middle of that. They go four games over 500, people are thrilled. I'm thrilled. They're in the four or five. You're treating it like they won a championship. It speaks to the standard and how low it's been with the franchise. It also speaks to how just starved Knickerbocker fans are for winning high-quality basketball, and that's what they're getting. They're getting high-quality basketball. Can the Giants give you that next year? I think the expectations are going to be a little bit different. This year, the Knicks, their over-under total, what, was like 21.5 wins, 22.5 wins? I mean, the general consensus was they're going to play hard, but they're going to stink. The Giants are in a wide-open NFC East. I don't think they're as good right now as Dallas or Washington. I reserve the right to change my mind. I don't think they're as good. And it's make or break time for the quarterback. Come draft time, I'm mindful of that if I'm Dave Gettleman. And that's why I'd be looking at one of those Alabama wide receivers as my top target. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Eamon out in Denver. Uh, Still geeking off that eighth win in a row. Longest since 2014, I believe. Anyway... My uh, question for you is, who do you think is expendable after the season, and who do you think we need to keep on this roster? Do you think, in my opinion, A.B. needs to stay, Bullock needs to stay, they stretch the floor, and in my opinion, Merrill needs to stay. He's a force to be reckoned with, and if he's behind Mitch, we're going to be a problem defensively. Anyway, just wanted your take on it. Go next. Love the show. It's amazing New Orleans Noel is giving the Knicks such good minutes. He plays really good defense. Plays hard. Mitchell Robinson coming back, obviously, is going to have a bigger role on the team. Who are my keepers on the Knicks? Randall. Barrett. Quickly. Those three, without a doubt. Randall. Barrett. Quickly. I think Derrick Rose is going to want to be back here. I think the head coach is going to want Derrick Rose back here. But you're going to kind of have to see how the pieces fit. And know this. guy like Burks is going to get paid in the offseason. He's going to get paid. You could shoot the ball in the NBA. There's a contract waiting for you. 
So be aware of that. If you're a Knicks fan, no, I, I, I can't get too wrapped up in what I'm doing in the middle of July because how many of these years are we just sitting here saying, when's the lottery? When's the lottery? Isn't it nice to not have that feeling as a Knicks fan where you're like, oh, when's the lottery? When's the lottery? I'm so sick of that shit. Sick of it. Because it hasn't exactly worked out well for the Knicks over the last 19 years. Who's next? What up, JJ? It's Brian from Jersey, man. Uh, go Brooklyn, right? You know, I'm a Nets fan, but I want to give credit to this Knicks team, man. This is fun to watch, man. I'm happy New York basketball is back. Um, that's just, that's the happiest thing for me. This Knicks team looks a lot and reminds me a lot of the 17 Yankees, right? I mean, nobody saw them coming and they got far. And I'm not saying that they're going to even get close to the finals, but I mean, we talked about it, right? That first round upset is going to happen. Now, in the second round, though, how many games do you think this defense can push in a series with Brooklyn, with a Philly, or even a Milwaukee? I mean, do you, do you realistically think that they can still get to a six- or seven-game series with one of these teams? I mean, defense does win championships. I understand they don't have a ton of firepower, but, I mean, if Julius Randle, you know, continues to put up 40, I mean, uh, it's pretty solid. So, I mean, let, let me know what you think about um, the Knicks' chances uh, in that. I know you, you talked about their chances, but really, like I'm talking about how many games could they push it to. All right, man. Appreciate it. Keep killing it. Appreciate you, Brian. I'd say max two games. I do not see them forcing Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee to a seventh game. I just don't. Because ultimately, the talent discrepancy is going to play out. And the Knicks are not as talented as those three teams. And I'd much rather play Milwaukee as opposed to the other two. I think a lot of people around here, though, are going to be rooting for Knicks Nets. And from a show standpoint, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Chelsea on that. Who's next? What's up, JJ? This is Mike in Connecticut. Uh, I want to talk about the Jets. First, I just want to touch on, I love the pod, love the emergency stuff, love that you're giving even 30 minutes after Knicks wins. Um, but I want to touch on the Jets. I'm scared of this draft. I was the biggest Sam Darnold fan in the world, obviously. I may be wrong about that. But... Is it not justified to have a little bit of fear that Sam Darnold's going to be at least pretty good with the Panthers and Zach Wilson can be a bust? I'm optimistic, and I'm I'm a cool-headed fan. I love Joe Douglas. But just for the likelihood of draft busts, you've got to be afraid of it. Uh, let me know what you think. Thanks again for the pod. It's amazing. Have a great day. Well, I appreciate that. Look, I don't think you have to worry about Sam Darnold being uh... – Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson reincarnated. Sam Darnold could end up being a top 15 quarterback. And I don't think that's asking a whole lot. If he has a better support staff, Matt Rule, Joe Brady, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, he's going to be a better quarterback than what he was with the Jets. To the Jets, though, the timeline didn't exactly work out. And where they are as a franchise, they had to take a quarterback until. They just had to. Now it's about Zach Wilson out of BYU emerging and becoming a star. And the Jets, with all of these draft picks that they have, Peter King talked about it earlier. They got to get it right. Who's next? Johnny, Ryan, and Baldwin. Loving the show, man. Really enjoying it so far. Congrats on uh, all your success. Just got through another Knicks win, eight in a row. Can't believe it. I mean, this team, just talking about coming out of nowhere, how much fun they've been to watch all year. But, Johnny, tell me something. 
Looking at the the MVP odds right now, how is James Harden twenty five to one, and our boy Julius Randle is a hundred and twenty to one? How on earth can you say James Harden has better MVP odds than Julius Randle? I mean, the guy tanks the franchise in Houston, quits the team, gets traded out, and he's playing along with two other All NBA quality players. Randall, I mean, look at the closing lineup that he's carrying on his back, and he does it every night. Every night, Randall does this now, scoring 40 points, the passing. I mean, he's got he's bringing he's playing with Bullock, Noel, these guys. You compare the talent on these two teams, it's not even close. I mean, Randall and the Knicks have just so far exceeded expectations. You take Randall off this Knicks team. I mean, they're in the Kate Cunningham sweepstakes. So tell me that, Johnny. How does Randall not have better odds than James Harden? But can't worry about the way the Knicks are playing. They've been so fun to watch, and I hope they keep it up. Thanks, Johnny. Take care. I can't disagree with that. Excellent call. Excellent call. And I've been very dismissive of James Horton's MVP candidacy because of the stunt that he pulled with the Houston Rockets, which to me was an embarrassment and a terrible look for the league and should automatically disqualify you from an MVP race. I don't care if you got what you wanted. I don't care if you pulled a Costanza. You want to be the MVP of the league? That counts. And now he's missing time. I'm not advocating Julius Randle to be the MVP of the league. I'm not. I think Joker's going to get it. I think Giannis has unbelievable numbers. And Bede, when he's been out there, has been the most dominant player, arguably, in all of basketball. That's how good Joel Embiid has been. I'm not suggesting Randall would be even my top three. This is more knock on James Harden and praising Julius Randall at the same time. Kind of side by side. And I know Harden's been electric with Brooklyn when he's played. And I know guys have missed time. Sure. Can't pull that stunt and be the MVP. No way. Who's up? Hey, what up, JJ? Jimmy calling in all the way from Hawaii. Big Knicks fan. Just want to say, fuck you, poor Zingas. You want to fucking leave and go play with Luca, who cries after every foul call. Well, guess what? The Knicks got the same record as y'all, and we don't got a top 10 player. Fired up. Super fired up in spinning on Kristaps Porzingis. That's going to be a popular narrative around here. Nick fans are laughing over the fact that Porzingis is kind of in a weird spot with the Mavs, is not played as well as everybody thought he was going to play, and the Knicks are riding high. Did not imagine the Knicks would be getting the better of that trade, but here we are. Who's up? Hey, John. Uh, yeah, you know who this is. I don't have to tell you my full name because you already know who this is, and you know why I'm here. It was probably my hundredth voicemail left. Anyhow, even if you don't answer this one or you play it on your show, I'm going to keep rambling on for the next thousand messages. John, I really think, man, Matt Jones, he's it. That's it, man. And you want to throw out that little hyperbole about Alabama quarterbacks? You can throw that out there. Uh, you know, people also say the Ohio State quarterback and the Florida State quarterback. But eventually, John, one of these guys are going to hit. You're not going to continue to have misses and misses and misses. From Alabama's worst quarterback position. It seems like people have changed a little bit. Instead of looking for the prototypical size and, and the dynamics and the speed and athleticism, let's look at the completion percentage, the accuracy, the arm of, of a particular quarterback. To me, Mac Jones checks all the boxes. John, I think your long lost twin, who you look like in a mirror each day because you pray and hope you had as much money as then Kyle Shanahan, is going to hit a home run and he's going to take Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is true, John. All right, I'm going to let you go now. I'm going to go put on my wig, and I'm going to go pay tribute to more from Good Have a good day. 
That is the great Jamal in Hicksville, one of my favorites. It's good to hear from Jamal. I've missed him. Um, I don't know what the Niners are going to do with three. I thought Mac Jones a month ago. Now I've kind of talked myself into the narrative of Justin Fields being the pick. You're telling me the San Francisco 49ers gave up as much as they gave up to go and take Mac Jones? I find that a little surprising. Now, I heard Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle mention the fact that throws a better ball than my guy Tua. I didn't like hearing that, by the way. That did not sit well with me. Should not sit well with Tua, who I hope is, you know, going all Ivan Drago on us or going all Rocky and Apollo on us. Maybe with a hug scene on the beach down in South Beach. I'm, I'm game with that. I'm cool with that. In all seriousness, Tua looks good. Uh, but the Niners are taking a quarterback. To me, it is not going to be Lance. I think it comes down to Fields and Jones. I think most people will tell you it'll be Jones. I'm kind of leaning towards Justin Fields with his mobility and that dynamic that he can bring to the table as being the pick for San Francisco at three. And I do get that I look like Kyle Shanahan all the time. Jamal's on to something now. Just a smidge. We'll come back, set the stage for the weekend. Picks. What I like, what I don't, all that more. It's New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. So as we set the stage for the weekend, big weekend of baseball, winding down on the NBA and the NHL regular season, uh, a couple of interesting matchups to keep an eye on in baseball. Padres and Dodgers is kind of emerging as that, like, can't-miss series that you want to monitor, you want to watch. I'll be into those games. Friday night, seeing the Dodgers favored 140. You're going to have favorable lines for LA. More so than you will at any point throughout the year because of the talent of the San Diego Padres. Like, you're not going to get many Clayton Kershaw starts where he's at minus 140. Not going to happen often because on the other side of the field, it's you Darvish in the San Diego Padres. So I will be into those games over the weekend. Yankees, four-game set with the Indians. And how about this pitching matchup on Saturday? A rematch of the wild card round. Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber. That's a get-your-popcorn-ready type of game. I'm into that. And I'm betting the Yankees will be favored. Mm, minus 125. Minus 130, give or take. Maybe be a little higher than that. Maybe be a little higher than that. I might be giving the uh, Indians a little bit too much respect. Just a smidge. My guy's been hot. I wonder what he's got this weekend. Jeff Money, take it away. Hey, JJ. Jeff Money here with my handicapper picks. It's going to be for tomorrow, Friday, April the 23rd. I got two plays here. My money play for tomorrow is going to take in baseball. I'm going to take the uh, San Francisco Giants minus the 120. In the NBA, I'm going to take the Memphis Grizzlies plus the three. All right, JJ, take care out. I, I was wondering if Jeff Money was going to spit my beloved New York Yankees. I thought there was an outside possibility that he was going to do that. I'd be a little concerned with the Giants. They're off to a good start, 11-7 and seven on the year. The only thing is that line is super low at 125. Super, super low. And I'll contra throw smoke. That is not a great hitting Giant team. I would go the other way with you on that one. If I were playing that game, and I'm not, but if I'm going a little heads up, I would take the Miami Marlins. I'll take them at plus money. As far as the NBA card this weekend, you have the Knicks playing an afternoon game against the Raptors. The Philadelphia-Milwaukee game is the 3.30 ESPN game. 
And then talk about a game that looked a heck of a lot better at the beginning of the year. LA and Dallas was a game that they were probably thinking, wow, we got, oh, what a matchup. How juicy is this going to be? I believe that was the Christmas game too, if I'm not mistaken. It was. And it was a total dud and the Lakers smoked them. You know, Knicks aside, the NBA is at a point to me. For the Knicks, it's a different story because every game is meaningful, significant, and they're playing their asses off. But for a lot of these top teams, it's like, just get me to the playoffs for goodness sakes. Get me to the playoffs. And I'm keeping a close eye on monitoring these futures odds. Once I have a sense for what the playoff bracket is going to look like, you can make yourself some serious loot on that. That is something we're going to be monitoring here on New York, New York in the weeks ahead. So a fun week. We got so much more in store when we roll back with you on Sunday night. And it's draft week. We will be closing down the final week before NFL Draft 2021. Hallelujah. What a time to be alive. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. JJ out. Be good.